again, church, how are you? It is great. I, I'm, I'm always excited when I'm able to go back to my worship leading days and sing a couple songs and try my best not to mess up the lyrics. But what a great morning together. If you were to turn to Revelation with me. Revelation this morning, chapter 22. That is where we're going to be uh, together as we uh, land the plane in our series that we've been walking through. We've been walking through Revelation, the last number of chapters of Revelation, to see uh, what impact it might have in our lives, that we firmly believe that if we know how it's going to end, it will impact us today and how we live. And I can't tell you that, that the sermon today, I feel like, has more effect on our lives today than, than maybe any of the other passages that we've talked about that I think they're highly relevant for us as we prepare to meet Christ one day. And it's interesting, when I think about that thought as I was looking at the text today, or, or this week, excuse me, that we prepare for a lot of things. I mean, I feel like there is an insurance for everything we do. So you can be fully prepared for anything. You have life insurance and home insurance and auto insurance and casualty insurance and, and whatever insurance and uh, different umbrella policies and this, that, and the other. We prepare for that. I mean, so many of you in this room are preparing for one day when you can retire, when you're 65, probably when I get there, 80, I don't know. But like, we're preparing for that day when you can cease being told that you have to come into work and you can choose to come into work, right? And we're preparing for all kinds of different things. Hopefully, you're preparing for your kids' education in the future because college is super expensive. And we prepare for whatever it might be. We're preparing for lots of different things. And I guess as I was looking at our text today, I'm reminded of the fact that are we prepared one day to see Jesus face to face? Are we prepared for that moment? Because after the, uh, the last several weeks, we've been looking at these amazing, beautiful, mesmerizing passages that show us a vision that John was given about this final conclusion of Jesus' restoration of all creation. And it's going to be unbelievable where sin and Satan and death all is no more, and now the new heavens and the new earth, and God is dwelling with his people, as we talked about the last couple of weeks, and we're there with him face to face, literally in paradise. Pretty amazing. Last week, so cool to hear and read about that there's a river of life flowing from the throne of God, providing life to and healing to the nations as we all gather together. But it's interesting, if this is truly your destiny, if this is truly our destiny in the future, all of us who believe in Jesus and are following Jesus, place our faith and trust in Jesus, how then should we live in light of that? How should we prepare for it? What should our lives look like? Because I, I've reminded you the last six or seven weeks, man, the book of Revelation was not given just for mere information's sake. So I've joked about it. So it's not a secret decoder ring so that we can figure out the day when Jesus is coming back. A lot of people have sold a lot of books and made a lot of money, each telling us each year when Christ is coming back. But Christ says he doesn't even know the day. Only the Father knows the day when he will come. And Revelation is not just merely about informational facts, but it's given to us to give us a vision of the future that is to come, that it might encourage us 
and propel us into following Jesus more fully. And today, as we land the plane, if you will, in our series, I just want to continue to compel you, and this is what I want you to be compelled to do, is live in anticipation of Jesus' return. Live in anticipation of Jesus' return. I'll talk about it in a little bit, but, the, but the, the imminent return of Christ, that at any moment Christ can come back and we will see him face to face. We should be living in anticipation of the return of Christ, of, of Christ coming back. And so I just want you to see a few things from our passage today and how then should we live as we live in anticipation of Jesus' return. And so we're going to read a number of verses. We're going to start in chapter 22, verse 6. If you don't have your Bible with you, it'll be up on the screen. And, man, I would just, uh, we, we still do have physical Bibles, if you guys didn't remember. Um, it's great. Um, we can bring those as well. Um, but if you don't have one as well, they're in the back of the chairs. But Revelation chapter 22, if you don't know where Revelation is, the very end of the entire Bible. You can go to the very back. And that's where we're finishing today. So read with me in verse 6 down through verse 11. It says this, and he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, and the one who heard and saw these things, And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near Let the evil doers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. So, man, how do we live in anticipation of the return of Christ? How should we live? The first thing I just, out of this section of the passage, is just to keep God's word, to keep the word of God. As John gets this vision and is told this, it's almost like, um, if you remember in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, there's something called the Beatitudes. Like, blessed is this, blessed is that, blessed is the peacemaker, blessed are all these different things. As Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, is teaching the law of Christ, it's very similar here as he says, blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. So it begs us the question to say, why is it so important to keep the word of God? Why, why is that so important, or why should it be important to your life as you prepare and anticipate the return of Christ? Well, he, he says it right in the text that he says these words are trustworthy and true. And these aren't created out of the imaginations of man. They're not the, 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 um, the majority thoughts or opinions of the culture that we live in. They're, they're not built out of um, ulterior motives or anything else. They are trustworthy and true. Why? The second thing is because they're from the Lord. Man, a word from God is trustworthy and true. And we should do our best to keep it, to know it, to love it. To live it. He says, man, it's trustworthy and true because it comes from the Lord, the God of the prophets. 
Just so we sang just a few moments ago, the same God, that, that song. That, man, we serve the same God today who opened the Red Sea. We serve the same God who, 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 who literally did miracles, dropping manna from heaven. We serve the same God who inspired or motivated David to take on Goliath. We serve the same God who did all the miraculous things of Scripture. And today, God is still moving. Right? You look at it, man, the same God who, who, who miraculously revealed to Nathan the prophet of David's sin and he confronted David, right? Same God who, who, who came to Elijah. Man, I'm really excited. At the end of the summer, we're going to be preaching through Elijah's story in August, right? And, and you'll hear about it. The same God who gave Elijah the wherewithal and the knowledge to go before the most powerful king in the world and tell him it's not going to rain until I say it's so. Same God who, 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 who right, told Jeremiah to warn Israel of the coming judgment. They didn't believe him, but what happened? It came true. The same God who, who spoke to Daniel and told him of the kings of, kingdoms of Persia, Greece, and Rome before they ever existed. See, these words are trustworthy and true because they came from the Lord. And as we've been singing all morning, he's always been faithful and he still will be today. His words have always come true. He is fully trustworthy and true. And so he says, man, keep these words. And all throughout scripture, there's been this motivation and this calling to keep the words of scripture, right? You can go throughout history. I don't have time to go through all of it. Moses urged the Hebrew nation, the people of Israel, to bind the law of God as a sign on their hand and on the doorposts of their house, Joshua, Right? Before he took leadership, or as he took leadership, was urged to, to, to meditate on Scripture, on God's law, night and day, be careful to do according to all that is written in it, right? David, throughout the Psalms, calls us to, to follow and love the law of God, that it's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path that keeps us clean. Jesus himself says, what, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching, my Father will love him, and, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Right? Even the Apostle Paul instructing his son in Christ, Timothy. We went over this at the beginning of the year. Be devoted to the scriptures. They're profitable for all things. Teach them, right? That, that throughout scripture, there's this nuance of keeping the word of God. Notice I didn't say read, just read the word of God. I mean, you can know all of the right things about God and never do anything with it, and what good is it? We live in a generation that has more access to scriptural teaching, books, self-help scripture books, Bible. You don't even have to read it anymore. It will read itself to you. But yet, we have more Christians that are floundering in living out the things of God. It's not just right to be a hearer of the word of God, but be a doer, walk in these things. So keep the words of God, he says, right? This is what he calls you to in preparation for the coming of God. Well, what does it mean to actually keep them? Well, if you look at it, it means guard or observe or be watchful, carefully over. Well, man, if, I, if I'm going to guard the Word of God, if I'm going to observe the Word of God, if I'm going to keep watchful, careful eye to it, right, I actually have to be in the Word of God. I, I read something recently or heard something, then I read it. It was completely fascinating. I just want to read from an article for you. It's fascinating. They've done studies on individuals, followers of Jesus, that read the Word of God and what the effect it has 
on their life. And it's crazy, and I'm not downplaying reading the Bible only one time a week or two times a week or three times a week. I just think it's fascinating what happens when people read their Bible consistently at least four times a week or more. As they did their study, I think it was like 80,000 people, right? There was, there was this kind of slight impact when someone was reading just one time a week, right? And then it was kind of stagnant over days one and two. And then there's a little bit of a bump in the change of the way that they lived or they felt after day three. But something radical happened after day four of people that consistently read the word of God in the word of God four times a week. Listen to the statistics. Feeling uh, lonely dropped by 30%. Anger issues dropped by 32%. Bitterness in relationship dropped 40%. Alcoholism dropped 57%. Sex outside of marriage dropped 68%. Feeling spiritual stagnant as I think a generation is. Dropped 60%. Viewing pornography dropped 61%. Listen to this, sharing your faith, after people reading consistently the Bible four times a week, sharing someone's faith jumped 200%. Discipling other followers of Jesus jumped 230%. Do you notice a trend here? And then that's four times a week. There's people that are in one and two times field, not really feeling. But there is countless people in this church that have not picked up their Bible in months. And we're called to be, and we're going to prepare for the day that Christ is coming. How will we keep the word of God if we're not in the word of God and knowing the word of God? We live in more of a distracted generation. Man, I'm preaching to myself right now because I'm highly distractible. We're not in the word of God. Man, we need to be in it, learn it, trust it, follow it. So I just ask you, do you have a faithful time of reading the scriptures? Do you have time set aside each day? We have time set aside for a lot of different things. Just look at your phone sometime and see your screen time. You've got a lot of time on your hands. Do you have something? Are you committed to live according to the scriptures? Because if you are, you have to be in the scriptures, in the word of God. It's not just about hearing it or, or reading it. It's about doing it. That's why I tell my kids, we've been meeting lately, and we're going to read through the gospel of John together, and I want them to come to the table with their thoughts because the spirit of God is living in them, not just the pastor, right? And I tell them to wrestle with two questions. Well, Dad, how do I read the Bible? I want you to read the Bible in this way. Every time you read it, just ask God, what are you saying? What did the original audience, what, what do you think the Bible said? And then what do you think the Bible said to you? And then what are you going to do about it? Because you can't just say, what did it say? Man, I got to do something with it. What did God say? And what am I going to do about it? Man, every Sunday when you leave this place, I hope that's what you wrestle with. Man, this is what God said, and this is what I'm going to do about it this week. But are you living out the word of God? Well, next, I... Would love to stay there, but I can't. How do we live in anticipation of Jesus' return? Wash your robes. Well, I didn't see anybody come in with a robe. This is irrelevant for me. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate that. Look in verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each. Repay each one for what he has done. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Verse 15, outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices 
falsehood. So I just said, wash your robes. What does it mean when it says there at the beginning, behold, I am coming soon? Seems like God's wrong because that was some 2,000 years ago. Soon in God's mind, it might not be the same soon as you think. Right? A thousand years is like a day to the Lord. It says, behold, I'm coming soon. What does that actually mean? Well, it's speaking to the imminent return of Christ. Do you know what that means? That, that we live in light of the imminent return of Christ, that at any moment it's imminent. So you read the, 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 the Gospels, and Christ is always sharing parables about being in the field, and one is taken, and, and, and all of the virgins being prepared for the, the, the groom to come. And there's all this teaching about being ready, because you know what? We live in light of the imminent return of Christ. That's why there is no stage setting. That's why we don't look at the culture or what's happening around the world and be like, man, it's coming now, that Jesus is coming out, because you won't know. All throughout the New Testament, it's unexpected. That's why he says, be ready at all times. Man, if you just map it out and everybody knew when we could live however we want and be like, he ain't coming back soon. I can still dilly-dally for a little while. No, there's an imminency that at any moment Christ is coming back and we're going to be in his presence for all of time. Well, I, I think that, man, there's some beautiful motivating realities here. I just want to pause for a moment on one thing. It says, behold, I am coming soon. Well, what's going to happen when he comes soon? It says, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I wish I had all 30 minutes or 35 minutes this morning just to preach on that right there. Because there is a whole section of scripture that is not being preached on on eternal rewards. And you might say, what do you mean by that, Jim? Well, I mean, and please don't email me about this. I am not preaching heresy, I promise you. We can have a conversation. But throughout scripture... What gets us to heaven is nothing of ourselves. We place our faith and trust fully in Christ and what he has done and his drawing by the Holy Spirit, right? And then so many believers, man, I prayed a prayer when I was 15, I'm saved, and they sit on their hands until Christ one day comes back. But there is another aspect of our eternality, and it is the rewards of God based on how we live here today. That our belief gets us to the destination of being with Jesus. Our behavior will impact how we'll live in eternity for all of time. Right? At the beginning of the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 16, I don't have so much time to get into some of this, but Matthew chapter 16, I just want to show you this. Verse 27, it says this. Uh, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, this is verse 24, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We know this verse. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man to gain the whole world if he forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return of his soul? Listen to this. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will what? Repay each person according to what he has done. Now, the first chapter in the New Testament lands there, and the last chapter lands there, and in between there, there's a ton of other stuff that talks about one day Christ is coming back, and you will be actually rewarded for what you did for Christ. He says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. It's not just crowns we're going to throw back at his feet. 1 Corinthians 3, 15, go read it. That, men, we will stand before the Lord at the Bema seat and all that we have will be judged, whether it's gold, 
precious stone or wood, hay, and stubble, that even what I'm doing right now could be wood, hay, and stubble and burned up if I have the wrong motive, right? That there's this motivating factor that, man, I will be rewarded for how I live today. I'm not living so that I can get to a place. I've, that's already been secured in Christ, but I'm living for the eternal rewards in Christ. And man, it's been a long time, maybe since seminary, since I've heard a message on eternal rewards, that what we will have in Christ Jesus. Then secondly, he says, blessed are those who wash their robes. Well, it says we're called to wash our robes. Man, this is interesting. One commentator says, Revelation does not suggest that people receive blessing or keep the words of its prophecy by speculating about the date of the battle of Armageddon. Rather, the blessed are those who wash their robes through faith in Christ and faithfulness to Christ, that's key, pursuing righteousness and holiness and resisting evil and impurity and falsehood and all forms of sin, right? That here's the deal. Washing one's robe is given as a prerequisite to experiencing the new heaven and the new earth. He says, those whose robes are washed will be on the inside, right? And all those evildoers will be on the outside. And man, I, I talked about this last week. If you are in Christ, man, I, I'm still an evildoer. The only thing that changes that is Christ. The only thing that covers me is the blood of Jesus that takes me from a corrupt, evil, sinful individual into newness of life in Christ, right? And having our robes washed is this figurative description of having our sins forgiven as the blood of Jesus applied to our account, right? This is exactly what I was talking about at the beginning of Revelation. That we will be adorned in white robes. That doesn't happen through your own self-effort. That doesn't happen by you coming to church. That doesn't happen by you giving money. It only happens through Christ Jesus. But it's interesting. There's this active participation in what we do. As I said before, it's not like, man, I'm 12. I hear the gospel. Now I've received Christ. I'm good. I'm in. I do my thing. And you never actually pursue holiness. We never actively try to push forward the mission of God. We never actively work in conjunction with the Holy Spirit to walk in Christ. Here's the thing. Your identity will produce certain actions. That is firmly in Scripture. That if you are a follower of Jesus, as you will persevere to the end, man, you will, you will live that out. Even though you have struggles or you might spend a year in backslide, you might get wrapped up in a sin for years, but you're persevering till the end. You're doing your best to walk with Jesus. Explain it this way. Washing your robe is not just a one-time act in Christ that I pray to prayer, I receive Christ, but it's actually a, that's called my salvation. Then there's something called sanctification where I'm becoming more and more like the image and likeness of Jesus. And then one day, glorification where it's fully realized before Christ, right? Well, I have this thing with my kids. I hate using examples always to my kids, but it's ripe application. Um, that I learned a long time ago. If you, read, if you read most of the apostles, Paul's writings in the New Testament, you'll find something very interesting in all the epistles. The apostle Paul starts at the very beginning, and you'll, you'll read it. Go home and read one of the epistles. You'll hear him speaking about who they are in Christ. This is who you are. This is who you are. This is who you are. Remember who you are. Remember that you're found in Christ. Remember, re read Romans 1 through 11, and then transition happens in chapter 12. He says, therefore, I beg of you, brothers, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Why? 
For 11 chapters, he talked about what they had in Christ Jesus, right? He was speaking to their identity before he called them to action. Man, in my discipline of my children, I try my darndest, sometimes I don't always do very well, to not just say, stop doing that. Don't do that. No. But speak to their identity. That's not who you are. You gave your life to Jesus. Man, you remember, you, you committed to following Jesus. Would, is that what God would ask of you? Speaking to their identity so that it will remind them of who they are, that it might live out and act, and that's transformation. Man, just behavior modification is not what we're looking for. We're looking for deep identity in Christ that produces action in our lives. And man, if you're here as a follower of Jesus and you've placed your faith and trust in him, you have a new identity. You have a white robe. Are you walking in it? Are you walking with Jesus to your best to live a righteous life and pure life and all that God has called you to? And that's for you here as a follower of Jesus. The second thing would be is, man, if you're here, have you placed your faith and trust in Christ? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Is your, is your robe washed white? If you just want to see that as a, as a metaphor for your lives, because he says this, if not, outsiders are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral, the murderers and the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Man, I'll tell you what, if it ain't for a Jesus, that is a great description of who I am. I'm not really a sorcerer, but maybe the other things. That's who you are outside of Christ. I mean, today, if you have never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, that is your call today. You can respond right in your seat. And for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, are you living as someone who's been washed clean? Or are you living as someone who is dirty? Man, it goes back to what we first said. The thing that's going to help us is being in the word of God, acting and asking the spirit of God to motivate, cut our hearts deeply, and walk with him. What's the last thing? As you look in verse 16, living in light of the return of Christ, not just, man, keeping the word of God, and not just, man, washing our robes or walking with Christ, but also, it says here, come to the Lord. Look with, in verse 16. I, this is amazing now, Jesus. Jesus is like, I'm the one talking. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. This is who I am. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to, them, add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away the words of this book of prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies of these things says, surely I am coming soon. He just wants to remind us again, amen. Come, Lord Jesus, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. So, so I just said, come to the Lord. In verse 16, Jesus affirms again, as he did repeatedly in, in the message of message John, that the message is from him, the author. This isn't just John having too much pizza and having a space out and being like, I saw some stuff. No, Jesus is saying, this is from 
me, the author. And he says he's the root of David. So he's the, he's the one from whom David would come. He's, he's the descendant of David, the promise of the prophets, right? He, he will reign forever on the seat of David, right? And he says here, the spirit and the bride say come. I think that's fascinating. The Holy Spirit and the bride. Well, who's the bride? You, you know church, it's that's us. The Holy Spirit who indwells believers collectively are the bride of Christ. They cry out to people all over the world, don't miss out. You're invited. Come to the Lord. Right? This is exactly what Jesus promised at the beginning of Acts would happen, right? Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, then further out in Judea, then further out in Samaria, and man, just further out all the way to the ends of the earth. He's saying, man, the bride is empowered by the Spirit to invite others in the culmination of God's plan of redemption. The man, we are part of the story. You and I are part of the story, which should motivate us to be prepared for the one day coming of Jesus is that we have a mission. You have a purpose, and your purpose is not just to climb the corporate ladder. Your purpose is not just to live your best life now with as much stuff you can accumulate. Your, your purpose is not all the things that the world is portraying. Those things can be fine and good. Your greatest purpose is to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And your greatest mission is to tell others about Jesus, make disciples. This is what he's saying. Let the one who hears say, what? Come. Man, this is why I, I feel like I've been talking about it a lot, but man, you have a video at the end of the service of those little boxes that were raising money for world missions. Every dime. None of it will go to a staff at church, nothing. Every dime is going to change people's lives around the world. I'm praying that a million dollars comes in from little boxes because there are people all over the world that still have yet to hear the name Jesus. There's a lot of people you see every day, they know who Jesus is. There's people, millions of people all over the world that have never actually even heard the name Jesus. We want to reach them with the gospel because this is true. Right? Do we have a mission? The bride of Christ propelled and indwelled by the Holy Spirit, offering the dying world an experience of new life in Jesus. And man, it's exactly what your heart longs for. Man, there's all kinds of alternatives. There's all kinds of things the world is offering that will satisfy and none of it, none of it works. None of it works. And he says, I just, I get choked up reading the passage. Come and let the one who hears come, come and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to drink water from, from the throne of God without price, third Christ, come. Man, is, is that our offer to the world? 
I mean, you can, you can drink from the well of the world or anything else, but it will never satisfy relationships, man. If you're here today and you've been longing for that person to spend the rest of your life with, you'll find them, and it will not satisfy. You can accumulate the most money in the world. It will never satisfy. Accomplishments will never satisfy. Adventure, experiences, whatever it is, it will never satisfy. All those things are blessings and good things when they're in the rightful place. But man, he says, no. The water of life flows from the throne of God, and it's an infinite source of satisfaction. God himself. Right? And I... I just want to speak to it because I don't want to jump over certain sections. Man, there's a warning there in the copy, right? Um, anyone who adds to it or subtracts from it, they'll be added the plagues or they'll be taken away their inheritance of whatever in Christ. So, man, um, is, it so, is it speaking here in this text of like, man, those who copied the manuscript, if you make one little mistake, you are, uh, you are, it's not good for you. Or, man, uh, if I'm teaching right now and I mess up in one little section, does that mean like, man, I'm just... There's a floor opening the floor that goes, bloop, Jim's gone. Now, I think there's more than that. I just want to read this so you can help understand because it makes sense here. The more likely cause for this expression can be seen in the beatitude when those are promised blessedness if they keep the words of the prophecy of this book. To attempt to do something other than abide by its message, either explaining it away or adding to its message, only results in the deception that makes one the recipient of the plagues who has lost any opportunity for access to the tree of life and the holy city. This seems to be the best uh, idea here is that it's not just like I I purposely added or subtracted the Bible, that no, I'm so ignorant or hard-hearted to say I explain away this or that, I decide not to follow this or that, or I I just abandon it altogether, that I will naturally become someone who experiences the plagues in this text and will not be allowed to be with the one thing that will satisfy my soul for all of eternity that is in Christ Jesus. So I just end by asking you, Men, are you experiencing hunger or thirst that you can't find satisfaction for today here or joining us online? I say this all the time. I don't really care what your background is. I don't care what church you came from. I'm no disrespect to them. I don't, I don't care what good things you've done for God to make him happy. I just want to know if you've ever placed your faith and trust wholly in Jesus and what he's done for you on the cross. That's the only thing that will satisfy the only thing that gets us from here to there is Jesus. So, man, have you done that? Have you invited him to come and take your life? Have you received the invitation to come? Maybe you grew up in church your whole life. And you've been doing this religiosity thing for 30 years. I don't care. Have you placed your faith in Jesus? Say, God, take me, all that I am. I place all my faith and trust in what you did for in the cross, and somehow it counted for me. I believe that it counted for me. God, I place my faith in trust. You can do that right now in your chair, just declaring to God. And if you haven't, that is your response today. Come, drink from the waters of Jesus. Followers of Jesus, man, does your attitude and behavior reflect this? Does it disrupt? I mean, does the way you live demonstrate someone who's drank from the waters of living, of, of life at the throne of God? Can I just ask a simple question? And I want you to think, oh, don't say anything. When is the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? 
When's the last time you told someone about what it means to follow Jesus? If it's our mission, we better get to work. We're distracted by a lot of different things in life. Parents, are you extending regularly invitations to your children to come as they're being gobbled in by the, 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 the world around us? Are you inviting them to come to drink from the waters that Jesus offers? Don't say it like that because they'll think you're weirdos. But, man, are you living in light of this? I'm out of time. But are you living in light of anticipation of who Jesus is and what he's done? Loving his word, living in participation with him, and inviting others to come because one day they will with you stand before the Lord either in their sin or as a new creation in Christ Jesus. Man, my, my heart is that we would leave this place motivated to live in anticipation of who Jesus is and what he's done. Amen? Let's pray together. God, thanks for all of who you are and what you've done and your goodness to us. What an amazing thing it is, God, that myself, I can be someone who is found in you because you are the Lamb of God that was slain for us. God, would you motivate us to live in anticipation of one day you coming back again to see us and be with us for all of time. So God, help us and motivate us to be in your word, to walk with you in all that we're doing and invite all those that we know, God. Maybe this, the greatest thing we come out of this room with is, man, my job, my mission is to walk with other people and share and show the gospel. May it be so. And even as we're about to sing, Lord, may we be people that are shouting from the rooftop, behold the lamb that was slain for us, that they might be able to drink from the waters of everlasting life. God, I pray over one person in this room right now that needs to call on to you today to give their life to you. Would you so spur them on that in this moment in their heart, they respond to you and all they did. Be with us today, God, as we respond to you today in singing. It's in your great name we pray, Jesus' name. Amen.